0: Hello everyone, welcome to the 3 for 3 podcast A podcast where John Sekatowski, Nick Gibson, and me, Andy Schmidt Will be discussing some of the hard theological and cultural topics in the Bible Bringing three different perspectives from three different generations First question is, what is the Trinity? What is the point of the Trinity? What, what do you got?
1: Yeah, you want me to start? Yeah, that'd be great So, um, so at one of the... Uh, one of the sort of famous books in the English language on Christianity in the modern period is called Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. And he said in the second chapter of The Maniac that there's like five like paradoxical mysteries in Christian faith, like that we're divinely elected and yet morally responsible, that God is three in persons and one in essence, that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. And there's like five or six of those. And he's mm-hmm. like, if you can accept those dynamic paradoxical mysteries the gospel will make sense of your world and your life and you can live in it fully. Right. If you can't accept those and you have to like rationally adjudicate everything, it will either cause you to like sort of give up on things or sort of drive you insane. It will make a maniac out of you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so he's, he says, everybody has to grapple with what paradoxes or mysteries do they believe in and to what extent can they understand them? Right. And the Trinity is one of the, maybe the three most basic, Sort of paradoxical mysteries of the Christian faith, right? Mm -hmm. That God is three in persons and one in substance or essence. He is God is one God, and God is
0: three distinct persons. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that kind of that kind of makes sense. But in the Bible, there's uh, there's like no mention of the word Trinity ever. So where did where did that originate? Like, where do we start? When did we start saying? okay, this is the Trinity because even like the mention of the Holy Spirit, Jesus and God, like all together, mm-hmm. that's, that's not mentioned a ton like all together in the same like sentence or in the same area. So when did people start to say, cause God said he's God and Jesus said he's God, but did the Holy Spirit ever proclaim that? Did anybody proclaim that the Holy Spirit was God and where did the whole idea of the Trinity start to originate?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean,
0: it, it is true that the the Holy
1: Spirit is called the Spirit of God. That's true. So that's pretty direct.
0: <laughs> right there, you go.
1: Um, yeah. So it, it it just depends on what you mean. So like the the language, the word Trinity obviously is like goes through there's like Latin and then in modern English, blah blah. blah. But the the concept of the doctrine of the Trinity. That most Orthodox Christians believe today was mostly nailed down at the Council of Nicaea at 325 and it had developed Mm -hmm. considerably before then so Doctrines like the doctrine of Christ that he's both fully God and fully man and the doctrine of the Trinity that God is three in persons and one in essence or substance Went through a series of conflicts before it like stabilized so there are probably Five to 15 different, what are called Trinitarian heresies. That is, people try to say, well, it's like this. Mm-hmm. And then Christians realize, well, that denied something really important. Yeah. Like it made it simpler. It made it more understandable, but it also denied something really important. So they said, no, that's not right. Mm-hmm. And then often the person who came up with was like, no, it is right. And then there was this big controversy and that was deemed a heresy. And then they were like, well, then what's better than this? And so they'd come up with another way to talk about it. And then they'd realize that denied something that was really important mm-hmm. because they're tr- trying to simplify it. So it's no longer a mystery. So it's a clear, rational doctrine. Something always got left out. There's always some remainder. And so mm-hmm. people are like, no, wait, if we believe the whole of the scriptures and everything Jesus and the apostles taught, we believe this too, which means this has to be wrong. And so it wasn't, so it took a, quite a while because you got to remember for the first couple hundred years, Christians were basically just trying to not get killed. Right. There, there wasn't a lot of theological development in the first two centuries because there was so much persecution against Christians, and bishops were getting killed and filleted alive and burned and so on. It's hard to get a lot of good continuity in your theology during times like that. <laughs> right. So by the time you got to Nicaea, so it wasn't until 310 A.D., that you got the edict of toleration and then just after that you had constantine saying okay christianity will be the religion of the empire mm-hmm. it really wasn't until then that you got an enormous flowering in christian theology because one the romans weren't burning every bible they could get their hands on so there were actually copies of the scriptures people could read more widely which means you could educate people and then you had theologians who could stay in one place long enough to like build a library and study mm-hmm. and then you got the development of theology so theology develops an incredible amount from the four, from the fourth century through the sixth century and it's partly because t- because persecution ends, because when people are running scared for their lives, you don't get a lot of academic development.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If that makes sense. Yeah. But people believed in the Trinity. They believed in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. They believed that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all God, and mm-hmm. they believed that there was one God.
0: Okay. Yeah. So they've always
1: believed Christians have always believed that the question of mm-hmm. like, well, how does that work? Right. That answer to that question is a question that had to be quote worked on because mm-hmm. people it's not it's not obvious.
2: Right. Yeah. That was something I found really compelling when I was. Um, learning about some of this stuff is what was right. That from the very beginning, like you see in Tertullian's writings and in Origen's writings and in some of these really early church fathers that they were, they were talking in such a way that the Holy Holy spirit should be treated as God. Jesus should be treated as God and God, the father should be treated as God. Um, so even before there were explicit formulas, right. Of how the Trinity worked. Those, those three things were still held as these are true.
1: Right, right. The issue, the doctrine of the Trinity was, essentially was, how is it that this can be the case? Mm-hmm. What do you, what does it mean? Yeah. And so what people wanted was a language for the threeness and a language for mm-hmm. the oneness. And that was where the controversy was. Yeah. And so, um, homoousion mm-hmm. is the Greek word that, that they settled on, which means something like in English essence or substance. Mm-hmm that what is essential of the being or the substantial being of God is one Mm -hmm. and that God exists in the formulation of having of three persons. And yet those three persons are so unified in their will and and so on that they function as though they are one. So there's this old um, Greek Orthodox painting that was meant to depict the Trinity where there's like three women at like a lunch table and they're sort of dancing around it, all holding hands. But when you look closer at the picture, it's the same woman. Hmm. And it's meant to, it's meant to be like, so yes, the the Holy Spirit and, and the son or the word of God and the father are separate persons. But if you were able to look into the face of each of those persons, you would mm-hmm. see the same face. Mm-hmm. And so one of the reasons why that's important is, is that functionally that only work, it, the, that that revelation only works if that's true because if jesus says to philip for example in john 14 philip says well show us the father and jesus says haven't you seen me Mm -hmm. jesus can you know i think hebrews 1 3 says that jesus is the exact representation of god yeah and so only only by means of the doctrine of the trinity do we get revelation where the christ is the right revelation of Mm -hmm. the father and of god and that the spirit is the proper revelation of the truths of god because Paul argues in First Corinthians chapter two. He says, "Listen, who knows your heart except the spirit that's in you? Right? Mm-hmm. So you like have a psychological, what we call a spirit. Like you have this like mind inside of you, and like it knows you, like because it is you. But it mm-hmm. also feels like it's kind of not the exact same as you, sort of. And he's like, it's kind of like that with the Holy Spirit, right? Only God's spirit really knows what's in God, mm-hmm. what's in His mind, what's in His heart, what He believes, what He thinks, and, and then can reveal to us. Mm-hmm. That's why the revelation of the Holy Spirit is so reliable." because he's God. He is the spirit of God. And so um, the Trinity actually makes the concept of revelation possible Mm -hmm. with the father still being the hidden God who is spirit. Mm -hmm. Right. And so Christians have all and, and, and that idea that God is both three and persons in one essence is actually one of the main things that makes the Christian doctrine of God fundamentally unique and completely different than any other view of God of any religion ever in the history of the world. No other religion has had a view like the Christian view of the Trinity. Right. It really is fundamentally and singularly unique about Christian faith. Mm-hmm.
2: So a question I've always had is what, it, like, what is helpful about drilling down so far into the conceptions of how the Trinity works? Like what it, how, does it, how does it help us in our lives as we relate to God? to have to kind of go beyond the biblical language for the ways that it's talking about the, talking about the three individual persons of the Godhead, Um, especially seeing like the, I mean, like heretical sort of devastation that happened, Mm -hmm. especially in the early centuries. And, and even now just the oversimplistic views that, Right, that I think is like I think metaphors like okay, God is like an egg, you know, he's got mm-hmm. the shell and the yolk and the white, or, you know, it's kind of like water, where it can be it can be ice or it can be water or it can be ga- like vapor, mm-hmm. like both of those are trying to trying to put language around the Trinity that mm-hmm. isn't in the Bible that then massively misrepresents who God is. So what it I don't know like what is helpful about trying to push beyond. Just the biblical witness of okay, Jesus is God, Holy Spirit is God. God yeah, is God. I just
1: I was just hearing you say that. I just want to be like, that's modalism, Patrick. Yeah, like, right. if you live you are listening to this and you haven't seen the YouTube videos of Lutheran satire mm-hmm. on Augusta, I think it's Augustine or Saint Patrick Yeah, yeah Trinity, if you just look
2: up, yeah, Saint Patrick explains Trinity. The Trinity yeah, or something like that. Do
1: you want Lutheran satire? It right. he talk they talk about like how difficult this could be, but mm-hmm. um. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a, I think there's a lot of answers mm-hmm. to that, like, well, the first I think is an apologetics answer, right? Like, one of the things Christians are supposed to do is to help people believe mm-hmm. the gospel, and when people hear about the doctrine of the Trinity, that become can become a roadblock for people, especially if they're they've been taught to think kind of pedantically and simplistically, and they don't know how ignorant they are about human life or human psychology, and so they don't they don't easily think about things fairly expansively. We mm-hmm. tend to be very atomistic in our thinking, and so when you say something that's a mystery to people. People who have grown up in like secular, scientific, whatever yeah. kind of world, they're just like, well, that's bullcrap. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have enough, if you're not ready to be like, okay, let me explain what we mean by this mm-hmm. and why it means something important, then they they might just dismiss the faith altogether mm-hmm. and thinking that the first key doctrine is itself a contradiction. And I think helping people see that that's not true is important. Mm-hmm. I also think it helps people a little bit with humility to realize that God's being itself ought to be something like infinitely complex. Mm -hmm. And if you think you can just sort of like, well, God's like this. Well, no, God's a lot more complicated Whatever the this you're thinking is. Mm -hmm. And it's, and once people begin to realize that, they also realize how dependent we are on revelation. Because like, if God is an infinitely complex being that has a type of being that we don't even fully understand ourselves, Mm -hmm. who then has made us in our image, which means we may not understand ourselves in our own being very Mm -hmm. well. Then you begin to realize, yeah. oh wait, I'm yeah, very dependent on God speaking and showing himself. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm going to get this all wrong. Okay, well then how did God speak and show himself? Well, the way the Father has spoken and shown himself is in the person of the Word which is his Son and through the inspiration of his Spirit who is his Spirit. Mm-hmm. So the Trinity then demonstrates that like, it's through the Trinitarian nature of God by which he reveals himself to us, which is the only way we can really know God accurately. And then it kind of goes out from there.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: so, okay, so then I guess going going into like the the topic of like monotheism and polytheistic, like if, so you have one God and then you have three beings in that one God. And so I guess when no, I know no, you
1: have three persons,
0: three persons
1: who, okay. who share one being substance or essence. Okay.
0: So the first mention of that then in the Bible is in Genesis one 26. and And it says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And so God, like God is implying that there's more than than one person in this conversation or one yeah one person so when Moses was writing this down the people the Jews at that time they believed that they served one God so do you think that they were just like you think Moses was like what am I writing why why am I saying why is it say us you know but yeah, why is there? What is going on here? Did they think that that was like heresy or or, or what? what is, yeah, what is going I on? think
1: for a lot of younger people reading the Bible, they read us there and they're like, there it is, Trinity, first page of the Bible. How can people miss this? Um, and then you go and read the Quran, and the Quran is the most monotheistic. Like there is no God. God is like absolutely one. There is no anything else, right? And here, God refers to Himself as we, right? Because one of the things we've gotten away from in the modern world is what was called in the ancient world the plural of majesty. That is. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are a king, you say we, Mm -hmm. because everything is you. Everything's an extension of you. Everything belongs to you. Hmm. All the people are your people. You speak for everything and for everyone, and so you say we. And um, most Christian Old Testament scholars that I know of believe that the we in Genesis 1 is a plural of majesty. It's designed to to demonstrate the majestic nature of God. Now, however, however, that's not absolute because— in Genesis 1 1 and 2 it says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and then it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters and so even in Genesis 1 1 and 2 there is there's this like multiple reference to the nature of God and his posture towards Creation and then the first thing that happens with the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters God creates the heavens and the earth and then the next thing that happens is God speaks Then hmm. God said right you see that that John is picking that up in John chapter 1 in the New Testament where um, Jesus is the Word of God. The Son is the Word, right? And so, in the in Genesis, so he, what he's saying, go back to Genesis one. You've got God creates the heavens and the earth. The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters, and then God speaks His Word, right? Mm. And then he and then he say, then he equates the Word of God with Jesus the Christ. He calls Jesus the Logos, or the Word of God, right? And so he's he is putting a Trinitarian formulation into Genesis one. But instead of using the we of majesty, he's actually going to the description of God in his relationship to creation using that. Now, the, the only the only situation in which people have said elo- Elohim, which is that word for God there. Mm. There are some places in the Old Testament where plural verbs are used in relationship to. Usually what happens is it says Elohim, which is we. Right. And then a singular verb is used. And that's the one of the ways, you know, it's a plural of majesty because <laughs> the verb is singular. But there are places, actually multiple places, where the verb and pronoun used with Elohim is actually plural. Plus, there's all kinds of places in the Old Testament where there's a character that shows up called called the angel of the Lord. Mm -hmm. The angel of the Lord is, like when you read through the text, it's weird because sometimes it says the angel of the Lord and then it'll interchange God with it. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wait, is the angel of the Lord God or not? Or like, are they so synonymous that it's right? And then when you get to the New Testament, there's no angel of the Lord anymore. Mm -hmm. After the incarnation of Jesus, there are angels, there's Gabriel, and like the work of angels, but there's no angel of the Lord anymore. Mm -hmm. And that has led a lot of people to believe that the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ, who is the Son of God, that is God himself, and therefore it makes perfect sense for there to be an interchangeability between God or God the Father and Mm -hmm. the angel of the Lord, who is the Son of God, but not yet the Christ or Jesus. Mm Mm-hmm. That he becomes the Christ when he be, when he takes on flesh and becomes the man Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. but before that he's the angel of the Lord. I think that's a credible argument. Now you get a lot of pushback from rabbis on that, obviously. Mm-hmm. But so they're
0: basically so they're saying like Jesus Jesus was still like showing up doing things in the Old Testament, I guess. because like, when you read the Old Testament, you hear about prophecy of Jesus. Right. But like I wonder, like was he just like chilling and mm-hmm. at in heaven and like <laughs> right. you know watching TV or, or what was he doing? You know, like what was he doing yeah. all that time? Well, he I mean, that's that, one of the reasons I think
1: why John designates him as the Word, mm-hmm. is because he he is himself the the revel, revealer of God, in the speak of words. So all the prophetic words and everything that God speaks and shows about Himself, the Son is involved in as the Word of God, mm-hmm. but also he. He may also be this angel of the Lord, right? And that that works. Um I, I will say this though, just for clarity's sake, right? So the Word of God, the second person of the Trinity, who is the Son, mm-hmm. isn't Jesus until the incarnation. So in eternity past, he's the word, he's the Son, he's the second person of the Trinity. The second person of the Trinity becomes the man, Jesus. In the incarnation, that's one of the things that's so mind-boggling and mysterious about the incarnation that a that a being who from eternity past is pure spirit, like takes on flesh, permanently, and from the moment of the incarnation until eternity future, is embodied. Okay, like that. That is way more mind-blowing than just okay. So, just, so. Just, just even you know, theologically, we speak of the Word of God or the Son of God or the second person of the Trinity, and then in the incarnation, that Son of God or the Word of God becomes the man Jesus Christ.
0: So then, in Colossians, Paul writes, "Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and is supreme over all creation." It doesn't isn't he saying that Christ, Jesus Christ, was there before? Isn't he saying the opposite of what you just said? <laughs> what you just said was insane, and I, I'm i trying to figure it out in my no, head. No, because but, the
1: Son of God who has become the man Jesus Christ. Existed. Existed before, yeah, right. from eternity past, absolutely.
0: So basically.
1: And if you want to say it, Jesus is, but like. Yeah. Sometimes it's helpful to be careful about exactly mm-hmm. how you, because the, the timeline of the incarnation is is actually important in understanding how the Trinity functions especially in relationship to that second person. Because one of the things people don't often know is most of the controversies about the Trinity started as controversies mm-hmm. about Jesus. Yeah. About what it meant that he was fully God.
0: Right, right. So, like, did Jesus know when he was on earth because he was fully human and fully God? Did he, like, did he know because, you know, you, you start as a baby and then you grow up and you learn and you and you begin to, like, to, to figure out what you're doing who you are and that kind of thing. Did Jesus know from day one that he was God while he was on earth? I, maybe that's a dumb question, but did he know it, it's, it's not a dumb question. It
1: is a, to, some, and it's to some degree a speculative question because the Bible doesn't explicitly say anywhere. We know that by the time he was a boy, Right, and he's traveling with his family, and he's at the temple, and they leave, and they three days later they find out he's not there, and they go back, you know, and they're like, "Hey," and he's like, "Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house?" Like that tends to lend itself to the idea that like very early, even in his childhood, he knew at least significant parts of what that meant. Mm-hmm. I'm not really,
0: or he could have just been smarter than everybody else. <laughs> I maybe I don't know because back then people were were just smarter. I mean, like like even Timothy, he was just. I feel like the young people of that time were just far more advanced than the young people of our time. And so...
1: Just in different things, I think. You oh. know, I, like, like yes and no, right? <laughs> so, like, that's not the point of the Luke passage, right? The, Luke pa- right, the point of that right, Luke passage right, right. is like, you know, in 2019, they're going to read this and realize that people have become stupid and weak eating bad foods and sitting in front of televisions. Yes. Like, the point of that passage Amen. was was that like Mary and Joseph come back and they're, and they're upset at Jesus. Mm -hmm. And they're like, why did you do this to us? Like they literally say, why did you do this to us? And he's like, how did you not know I'd be at my father's house? And then it adds in, in the passage that all the rabbis were, were like amazed just at the questions he asked. Like he would ask these amazing questions way out for his age Mm -hmm. and he's in his father's house. And Mm -hmm. we're meant to take from that, that like he's already beyond the rabbis and he's a kid and he sees this as his father's house. And and then it says Mary kind of treasures this up and it's part of the narrative in Luke about how special this Jesus is. This child is. That mm-hmm. he's inc- he's like beyond his parents, he's beyond the rabbis. He's like and and Mary instead of getting upset about it once he re- she realizes what she's missed here, she's like wow, yeah, this is amazing. Hmm. He's amazing.
0: Okay, that makes that makes more sense. So go, going 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 back to when we were first talking about like the word Trinity and, and where all this like originated mm-hmm. when you, when you think like when we're reading the English text and the English translations of, of all these different things, like we miss a lot and we don't understand exactly what was going on. In, in when they were writing in Greek and in Hebrew. So like, what, what would you, what would you guys consider? like the best English translation of the Bible then? How can you fully, how can you get as much out of the Bible as you possibly can in an English translation? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously knowing that you're not going to get everything out of it because you don't know Greek and Hebrew.
1: Okay, I, I'm kind of curious to hear your answer first. What would you think would be the best way to get the most out of the Bible By if you could only read English?
0: Okay, well, I can only read English, so <laughs> this this really <laughs> applies to me. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I. So the read, first
1: step would be that you would have to read a English translation at all. Yes, you right? would have to read. That's really the first obstacle for most American people yes. and most American Christians is they don't actually read any translation mm-hmm. of the Bible at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. The, for, for me, I don't know. I, I don't. I, I read. I love the NLT, but I know the that, New Living translation, New Living yeah. Translation. But I know people have have beef with the new, new living <laughs> translation like but when i when i read it i just feel like i'm i'm really i don't know i just feel like it sounds corny but like connected and i feel like i'm really like understanding certain things in a better yeah. way than if i uh, than if i read like the niv the niv to me or the king james version yeah I, listen read whatever version <laughs> you want but the king james version is is annoying to me in a lot of ways it's, it's probably really legit i don't, I don't so know when i
1: came home it. from christian camp in the fifth grade and told my mom i needed a bible mm-hmm. right she went to the price chopper which was a grocery store and bought a giant print king james version for me and gave it to me and that's so why like, that's
0: why you are the way you are now it, it, uh, <laughs> like it took a
1: while like you know but the thing is like i was a kid right and i started reading that thing because i was excited from camp about god or whatever you know and mm-hmm. genesis has a lot of fencing fighting giant's true love and you know all that and it so yeah. i mean it was exciting until i got to Re- Le- leviticus you know yeah and you know like i kind of figured it out right so yeah. okay so let's say okay so you're reading the nlt right well I and you want to get as much as you can out of the english out of the bible you can only read the english language so what would you do if you wanted to do that
0: so yeah i was gonna say so i i prefer the nlt and i usually read the nlt but but if i really want to like get as much out of, out of it as i can i usually read the nlt and then i'll have and a uh, English standard version ESV study Bible with me and read them both. And then, and then maybe even throw in like, I don't know the NIV once in a while, just like to get, yeah. to mm-hmm. get three different perspectives on, on this right. one passage or this one verse. I, I don't know. I think that mm-hmm. that would be, that's like a, a yeah. smart way to go about yeah, it.
1: That's you're onto it, right? The, the next thing to do, if you're limited to one language is you mm-hmm. read multiple translations mm-hmm. of the text you're reading. That's true for any text. Like you could that could, Thucydides, you still like read multiple translations if you can't read the Latin or the Greek or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? So the next step for any Christian is not to say, well, what's the best translation? It's like to get some different reliable translations mm-hmm. and compare them. Because even in places where you're like, why doesn't it say the same thing at these two places? Well, at least you know there's a question. Mm-hmm. When you only read one translation, especially translation like the NLT, you wouldn't even know there was a question. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it, it makes right. all the decisions for you, okay. So in that sense, there's there's really no such thing as the quote best translation. There are just different kinds of translations. Right. Well,
0: I think so you have an opinion on this because we've talked about it. <laughs> I well, do have an opinion, yeah. You you have like, a translation that I prefer. Yeah, your your preferred translation. Yeah, so I don't think that there's like a best translation. I think each person sees words differently and reads differently and different things affect <laughs> yeah. them but there has to like some of the some of the versions of the bible like some of are just old right. whack right.
2: But, but even like
0: i don't know what was the one that, that you showed me that the pigeon oh yeah the, the, the hawaiian pigeon the hawaiian the pigeon
2: version of the bible I, well I so that is funny, technically but. in a different language that okay. is technically written in Hawaiian right. Pigeon. And the reason it's funny to you is because Hawaiian Pigeon is just a very pared down version of English. So it, it reads funny in English.
0: So like the messenger then. The messenger. The uh, message. The message. Uh, the message. Messenger, the messenger is a, is a Facebook yeah, the app. Yeah. Is a, yes. <laughs> the message. Yes. That, that makes more sense. Yes. Um, the message wouldn't. So I think it was like written by one guy. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. So, that so one, I mean, that was written by one guy, and he didn't write it as a Bible. He wrote it as a, yeah, like, as a paraphrase. Right. As a paraphrase. And he wrote it with the understanding that I am saying this is a paraphrase. I'm not saying this is the Bible. Mm-hmm. Now, people really liked it and started to treat it like a Bible, and it started to get sold in the same sections as Bibles get sold. Um, but that wasn't.
1: That was never Peterson's desire. Right. Yeah. And he, and part of it was he didn't put in verse verses the same way Mm -hmm. and he translated by paragraph and he did a bunch of things to try to, um, but yeah, when I was in, like back when I was in college, like this is back in my generation, like that was like the amplified Bible of my generation, Mm -hmm. you know, but there, there have always been translate, not always, but there've been a number of translations, especially in the 20th century where people have tried to like basically amplify the message of the Bible, like translate it more like Evocatively or mm-hmm. voluptuously, I don't know, how you, but like, just like, kind of amp <laughs> up and like really make it. Yeah. And there's two ways to do that. One is you can like add more words that are like, like, f- you know, fire creating or heat creating adjectives, mm-hmm. or you can like use very colloquial language. You can mm-hmm. change the language into like just language we would use. Right. Which so would be no sort of the approach distance. of the NLT. Right. It's one of the approaches of the NLT. Right. So, but in some ways, the major difference is there's there's how dated the translation is. Mm -hmm. Right. Because language changes over time. But the general spectrum is what's called between a free translation and a literal or more word for word translation. Mm -hmm. So a free translation would be, um, I'm going to read the whole sentence in Greek, let's say, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to say, what is the sentence saying? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to translate based on the meaning of the whole sentence. And I'm not going to worry about like exactly what words are used in the Greek versus, I'm just going to like, I'm going to try to capture the meaning, right? Mm -hmm. A a literal translation is going to try to, it's going to try to be as word for word as it can be so that if you were to look at your translation and look at the Greek translation, you would find words for every word in the Greek translation so that it is, you're getting as much of a representation directly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so freer translations are good for like reading large portions. So the NLT, one of the miracles of the NLT was when it came out, all these Christians were like reading the whole Bible. They just read Mm -hmm. through like the whole Bible and they weren't achieving that with like the new American standard version or the, the NIV 82 version, which was the biggest seller at the time. Mm -hmm. For some reason, the NLT just, people just flew through the Bible and could read it like in like a few months. But the NLT also, makes every study decision for you. You have no idea where the exegetical or the like interpretation questions are. It's mm-hmm. um, so like when I have an NLT and the the thing I, I have my NLT Bible with my commentaries. Hmm. And the reason I have my NLT Bible with my commentaries is because anytime I'm studying the Bible and there's a question, I can open my new living translation and I can know th- which of the options the translators of this Bible took. Yeah. So there could might be three options and I just opened my NLT and I know that this translation committee was like, we take option three because mm-hmm. they translate it right into the text. Mm-hmm. The danger though is, is that you have no idea those questions are even there. So if you want to get the most you can out of the English Bible, what I would say, quote, the best thing to do is, is you, you get at least one free translation mm-hmm. and you get at least one more literal translation and you read them both. And you, to read swaths of the Bible, you read your free translation and to study more carefully smaller texts Mm -hmm. to really understand what they mean in these particular sentences, to understand doctrine well and to apply it to your life directly, Mm -hmm. that the more literal translations tend to be better. So the free translations would be like the New Living Translation. The message is a paraphrase, but it would function kind of that way. Um, What else would you put in that camp? Those Uh, would be the freest.
2: Yeah, still is the... And so Isn't the, there like a, a new N I? There's like a new modernized N I V, like the the T N I V. Is that one?
1: That's. I mean, I was still in college when the T N I V came out. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay. And then or there, was, there the, was an N I V readers' version back in the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. It was designed to be a little bit what
0: a- American standard. ASV is older. That's...
1: I think. I think that's the translation of Roman Catholics use okay. the most. Cool. Um, but then, okay, so then on the on the literal side, right? You've got yeah. the King James versions very literal. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the New American Standard, very literal. Yeah. Um, the New American Standard, when it's not word for word, when it inserts a word, just to make the translation work, it'll italicize the word that it inserts. Yeah. It's like that careful. And then you've got the ESV, the English Standard Version, which is a more literal revision of the Revised Standard Version mm-hmm. from the 1950s or so. And then then you start getting into this middle ground of translations are trying to be the best of
2: both worlds. Yeah, I've heard of the like... so dynamic equivalence being the sort of free Free, translation, formal equivalence being the more formal translation. And then uh, I've heard this new term recently, the optimal equivalence. Yeah. (laughs) And so, so translations following that, like the NIV or the CSB Christian standard Bible yeah, or, um, right. Most of the ones that are trying to be a one size fits all. Right. So
1: a lot of churches will have those Mm -hmm. in the pews. So for example, our church has the new NIV of the pews, which I, I have a love hate relationship with that mm-hmm. Bible. Um, <laughs> that translation is just, it's so bad sometimes and then it's really good sometimes and it just bothers the heck out of me.
0: That's what you,
2: so you said that about, you said that about the new NIV. And like, yes.
0: so your what, yours is the, the one? Yeah. That...
2: So my, my preferred translation, if I'm going to read one, is the Christian Standard Bible. And that was because, which a good translation. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that was because I liked a couple, I mean, a couple of translational decisions that I liked in that is one, they didn't, as much as they could they didn't just behold to tradition so you see the esv i think is a very good translation but there are a couple of places where um the interpreters sort of intentionally continued the tradition of how certain passages have been translated yeah. so for example john 3 16, for god so loved the world now what that passage is getting at is god loved the world like this so that four Or the so is um is more of like a because than it is a, you know, a word about how he so loved so with so much grandeur he loved the world, and Um, that's how people tend to take it. God so loved
1: the world rather than God because he loved the world gave his
2: only begotten son. Right. So there's a couple places like that that I prefer that the CSB takes a they aren't just trying to continue Mm -hmm. the sort of Bible yeah. translation So what does CSB tradition?
0: John 3.16 say?
2: Uh, well, we can pull it up real quick. I'm yeah, pretty Yeah, so part, sure. of
1: the, part, part of the issue yeah. is people just don't understand the histories of some of these. So for example, the Revised Standard Version mm-hmm. was a revision of the King James Version that was supposed to be more readable for people, but retained a lot of the old English that people really liked. Then the Revised Standard Version got translated by a, a fairly theologically liberal translation committee into the new Revised Standard Version. So if you went to UW and took a Bible class, I'm assuming the translation you have to use there is the New Revised Standard Version. I'm pretty sure. And that tends to have... Some, also,
0: why would you go to the UW and take a class? I would not <laughs> recommend that. But, yeah.
1: <laughs> but like when I was in college and I took the Bible class, you had to you had to have a New Revised Standard Version. Um, the ESV was an attempt to go the other way. So to move from the Revised Standard Version to retain all those readers of King James Bibles and Revised Standard who didn't like the New Revised Standard Version, they didn't want a liberal, liberal translation, but they wanted a a Bible that was translated in that vein. Mm-hmm. And so the ESV became the translation for that. It's like a fairly literal translation, mm-hmm. formal equivalents. It has this tradition through the King James Bible revised standard version mm-hmm. into the present. And it sort of, it, it like adopted a very specific space. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, but it was more literal than the NIV and that, and it sat there alone because the Christian standard Bible had not yet come out. Mm-hmm. Christian standard Bible is still a relatively new Bible. So less than 10 yeah, years old, t-
2: 2017, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Was that? There was oh, 2017. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's because there was the Holman, the HCSB, right? Which came out in like 2007 or something like that, yeah. and then in 2017 the CSB came out right. as a fixing some of the. Yeah, the issues. That but I think
1: the the NIV is still the biggest selling Bible in America, and yep. I think the ESV is second, right?
2: Yep, yeah, I am. I am pretty sure I looked at this recently. It was the NIV followed by the ESV, and then I think the CSB was third in twenty eighteen. Yeah, I want to say that's true. Um, but yeah, so back to the John three sixteen question. So, for example, the Christian Standard Bible reads this. For God loved the world in this way, colon. He gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So I found that I found that piece of their translational like philosophy compelling. So I hear you guys thought like
0: because and so those two words should be that literally makes no sense to me. <laughs> that 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 like when I read that So
2: if, if I when I hear that I'm literally I'm thinking like, in my head like I don't get It's like this that, Andy, I love you. So I'm going to do this. That is a way of using the word so. Because
1: I love you, I'm going to do this.
2: Right. Another way, another thing I could say is, Andy, I love you so much. And now that same word so is being used for a different purpose. It's being used to elevate. Yeah. Like, the person re- re- receiving it. it it's, it's being used to elevate the action that I'm doing. You know, it's, okay. it's being used to show that it's bigger. Because
1: of the volume of love. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. Rather than because I love you principally or because simply because i love you what that dictates because of my character is this mm-hmm. it just has it just means something different right now you may not care right now but as you go on to study the bible more carefully and one of the things you'll find is is that like prepositions and conjunctions and these little words
0: mm-hmm.
1: they're they're what tell you what all the other words really mean mm-hmm. like you don't really know what the nouns and the verbs mean without the prepositions and the par- particles and the articles and the conjunctions and all that. And so as time goes on and you study the Bible more closely, how those get translated become more and more and more important. Like for example, just in this, the past I'm preaching on Sunday in Ephesians five, there's a bunch of places where the NIV says, just says so, or just starts a new sentence where in the Greek, there's a, ver, a word called hinna, which is like the, so that, or be cut, or like a, it says for, It basically means for this purpose. You can translate it for this purpose. And there's two of them right in a row. And it's really kind of important in the argument of the text is like for this, God did it for this purpose and he did that for this purpose. Mm. And the He just says, so, or period capital. And it's Mm. very frustrating for me as a pastor because (laughs) it's not right there in the English for people. And if they read it carefully, that wouldn't really matter in how they understood that those sentences. So the more closely you read the Bible, the more this matters as you're reading the NLT and you're just familiarizing yourself with God's word you're going to read over all this stuff
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it won't make, it won't put, you won't pay any attention to it. Right. But as people mature in their faith and they read the Bible more carefully and they start paying attention to more details, translations matter more and more
2: and more. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, right. To get back to the beginning of this, the best Bible translation for most people is one that they'll read. Yeah. Right. You know, especially and one, in America. Right. Right. One that is one that is, Translated faithfully Mm. and is one that they will read. And then I think from there is when you start to get into, okay, Probably the best translation is multiple. Yeah, now, this is why. Right. So, for example, I showed this to Andy. I introduced Andy to the the free version of the Logos app. That that blew my mind.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, why, why is everybody using the U version app
2: <laughs> when they could have like eight different translations right there? Right. This so, so as you can tell, Andy was very com- by Andy was, Andy was very compelled by the fact that you could have several up next to each other, and you could just swipe left or right to. And there, it matches where you're at in the text, so I can swipe to the right and look at it yeah. in the ESV and then swipe back to the left and look at it in the CSV.
1: Right, and then when you're in the ESV, you can just hit the menu and have it read it to you. Mm. This
2: is something just, you learn something new every day. It just reads it to you, yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, that blew my mind. So like, so basically the question isn't what is the, the best version. It's just like read a Bible, and then the more you want to learn about God and about the Bible – add more bibles to your reading. Yeah,
1: I mean, the the, the here, here's the bottom line is if you're an Eng- if you're an English reader, you have no excuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The English translations are so good. Like you have such mm-hmm. an embarrassment of riches. Like the English translations, they've been working on it since like the 1500s. Mm-hmm. Right? Like pe- you know, Wycliffe, they they after he died, they he died, they dug him up and burned him just so they could like kill him twice. Like I mean, there's such a heritage of people who literally shed their blood to get the best possible English translation of the Bible Mm -hmm. in the words of Tyndale he said to a I think he said it to a bishop he said by the time I get done the a kid at the plow in England will know the Bible better than you Mm -hmm. that was his goal Mm -hmm. and that's still the goal the Mm -hmm. goal is still that like anybody in America who can read it all can know the Bible better than some bishops.
0: And at this point, it's not even about if you can read. If you have a phone, it'll read it to you. It'll to read
1: it anything. to you, yeah. yeah. And it, it's also true that the biblical books, because when the Bible was written, there was no printing press, right. having a copy of the Bible would be equivalent to thousands of dollars today. Like buy, like like buying a vellum Bible, even in the Middle Ages, would have cost the equivalent of somewhere between probably, I don't know, three to $15,000, right? Because mm. it would be, it'd be several months of work for somebody. Mm-hmm. So right. just add that up, what that would cost. And so the Bible actually was not written to be read. It was actually written to be heard. The assumption is, oh, is that yeah. you were going to go to church and the Bible was going to be read to you orally and you were going to hear it out loud and that was going to be your access to the Bible. So, the, so some people were like, well, is it okay if I just listen to the Bible? Well, you will learn more if you study it by reading it and that's, take notes and so on. Well, but, you, right. but it is made to be heard.
0: Right, that's what I was going to say. You, yeah, you can lose, You can listen to it, but if it's made to be if it's made to be heard and you have all these people who are in America who just don't take their faith seriously and they're interpreting the Bible for themselves, you get all these crazy ideas, so like wouldn't you want to be like, okay actually don't don't read it on your own and just listen to listen to your pastor who knows what they're talking about,
1: yeah, I mean in some ways that is good, like that was basically the Catholic view for a thousand years was that that that's, it's, it's, was it's, that like the minute you put the Bible in people's hands, they will interpret it in crazy ways. And that's mm-hmm. that's true. That is absolutely verifiably the case. <laughs> right. Um But I think a better solution is to have humility. Yeah. Is mm-hmm. to read the Bible, learn what you can from it, realize there's a lot of stuff you don't know, that there are people who've been studying it longer or are more qualified or know things you don't. Mm-hmm. And then like ha- yeah, well, you're supposed like the Bible teaches you should be submissive to your pastors. Mm-hmm but and that you can have your own faith and Mm -hmm. that you can interact with God's word. So I think that people should do both. And what's required there is humility.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then some people are going to shipwreck their faith. That's going to happen. But I don't think you hold the Bible back from people uh, to solve that.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that you should hold it back. Some solutions
1: are worse than the disease. You know, some cures are worse than the disease Mm -hmm. as they say. And I think holding the word of God back from people to save them from what they will do with it is a cure that's worse than the disease
0: Mm -hmm. that makes sense well it's all very interesting stuff um so yeah thanks for thanks for tuning in